all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? Hello. I'm Rachel. <laughs> I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. Um, follow us Insta, Twitter, Facebook at All Bad Things Pod. And you can email us at All Bad Things Pod at gmail.com. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm not sure that we have any housekeeping. Do we have any housekeeping? Not that I can think of. Okay. No. Except for uh, somebody suggested a movie night on our... Uh, oh, yes, yes. Was that Lee? I can't Lee? remember who it was. I think it might have been. I think it might have been Lee. Yeah, like to have a um, live disaster movie watching um, party. That would be fun. It would be fun. Yeah, that was a good idea. Um, I can always go with the, the towering inferno and yes. watching watching O.J. Simpson crawl around in the, in the smoke. <laughs> That's a good movie, and I do love it. It's... It's like just two and a half that, hours long. It's just weird that O.J. Simpson's in it. I know. Because you're just like... Like rescuing a, a little deaf girl. Yeah. <laughs> yes. He's like, if that was his wife, he would have killed her. Oh, wait. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, Jesus Christ, yeah. <laughs> was that too soon? Um. Well, what was that, 94? It was 25, 25 years ago. Oh, my God, it mm-hmm. was. So I'm not sure it qualifies as too soon. No. But, uh, especially because it's mocking him, not her. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And criminals deserve to be mocked, so... Um, especially murderers and wife beaters, which is what he was, is, is what, mm, yeah, he's probably, yeah. Um, uh, that is going on on our all bad things discussion group on Facebook. So if you're not on that, go ahead and ask to join. The only question you have to answer is what's one of your favorite disasters? Like literally pick anyone. It's fine. It's just to weed out the people who are randomly trying to join for no known reason. Like, people spam Facebook groups. I don't get it at all. Whatever. I don't either. So, um, what you drinking? I am having uh, Raleigh Brewing Company's something or another. <laughs> I forgot the name of it. You literally just told me. Hell yes, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to tell, share the uh, uh, ABV with I the class b- on I that? I believe it's 83 I think it's I, higher than, I think it's like I a 9.6. I don't feel like taking the... No, it's you not that You don't feel like high. taking it out of the koozie? Oh, you're, you were close. It's 9.2. <laughs> <laughs> well, then. You're you're going to be very helpful this, this episode, huh? No, no. <laughs> I didn't think so. <laughs> I am drinking because we're into... We're starting to feel a little bit of the crispness of fall here in the greater Raleigh region. A little bit, being that this is really the first night we Pretty felt much, it. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> so I'm having, uh, well, the, because it's now officially pumpkin spice season, I am having the Deep River Pumpkin Pie Porter. That is really good. That's it a good, is good one. It is good. Not, not everything pumpkin has a good no, I'm, flavor I'm with you. to it, uh-huh. but this one, this one definitely does. Yes, I agree with that. It's a good one. Ooh, that is good. There's a little bit of smoke in it, mm-hmm. too, which I like. Um, but that is, yeah, Deep River's out of Clayton in Joko, Johnston County, <laughs> I was North Carolina. Say for, for our outside of North Carolina listeners, they it's, wouldn't have any idea what Joko is. It's a bit rural. Um, 
But uh, yeah, they build themselves selves as Johnston County's first legal brewery. Mm-hmm. I so. want. I also want to say is Johnston County is where NASCAR began. Really, I believe so. Hmm. Don't quote me on that. Well, it's out there now. It is out there. Anyone can quote you. I guess. <laughs> so. This is a six and a half pager, so maybe we should just go ahead and jump in. Um, I've for, been for all the people who don't listen to us anymore because they hate our banter. This is the episode for apparently, you. Apparently, I mean, I write plenty of it in. I actually wrote a lot of judgmental stuff into the script that I will censor out on the whole, on the whole way. Um, but I did give you a hint as we were driving home from pharmacy. Yeah, Dairy Queen, and the, the, there was something else. What was the other thing? Was there something else? Yeah, I think it was just. Oh, when wait. we were in the grocery store, oh, you shit, said yeah. something else. Anyway, I have yeah. no idea what Dairy Queen would have to do with anything. What is Dairy Queen known for? Uh, the Sunday things. What are they called? The uh, they're not Sundays. No, kinda. No. Uh, flurries. Is that what I'm thinking of? Oh, you're thinking of McDonald's. Oh, that's Flores. McDonald's. Come on. What's, what's man. the Dairy Queen one? Blizzard. Blizzard. Thank you. So, what do you blizzard, think you're talking about? Oh, it's a blizzard. Okay. Now, a blizzard would seem to be like, okay, how how do you write six and a half pages about a blizzard? It's about where this particular blizzard happened and how remarkable this site is on our planet. Okay. So. This is the story of the 1996 Everest disaster. That's right, my friends. We are traveling to the highest point on the planet Earth. So, the highest vertical point. Oh, what else would I mean? (laughs) Are you the highest point on Earth right now? Is that what you're joking about? Oh, this is going to be fun. I'm on my own, aren't I? No, you're not. No. No, you're never on your own. Yeah. I will I always come up with quips and things to throw you off. <laughs> yes, especially the latter. Um, so the, my intro sentence is very succinct. Between May 10th and May 11th, 1996, which was actually the same year as our previous episode, um, our uh, mid-air collision, Turkey Dodgery oh, mid-air yes. collision. Yes, you're correct. Um, A blizzard on Mount Everest killed eight people. But this story is, it will unfold, you will see. So, um, this was actually a very popular topic. It was suggested by no fewer than three of our loyal listeners. Uh Specifically, Emily, our favorite live tweeter, except it's Wednesday and she still hasn't tweeted our episode. She has not. Super. She did send us another card, though. She did. That was very nice. Yes. How dare she have school and a life and a job and, like, normal stuff? She she can't do that. That's not fair. Um, also, Christopher and Eric. Okay. So this was a popular topic. Um, and this was not a topic that otherwise would have been on my list. So this is just because of them. So thanks, guys. Uh, so per the new usual, as I established last week, here are my main sources for this episode. Number one, any guesses, anyone? <laughs> I'm going to go with Time Magazine. <laughs> the Wall Street Journal. Wall Street Journal. <laughs> Wikipedia. All hail the great and powerful Wikipedia. Yeah. Uh, also, Weather Underground. Oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> Mount Everest.net. <laughs> sure. Which makes sense. Basecamp Magazine and Thought Co. I don't know if that means company. Uh, yeah, corporation. Who knows? I don't know. Thought Co. Anyway, 
Um, so the first section of this episode, research, I titled, and you can confirm, Stop. Corner time. <laughs> I got so fucking punchy writing this. This took me forever. This was a much deeper topic than I thought because of the setting. Like, how do you do a short history of Mount Everest? Like, but I tried. So Mount Everest is obviously one of those natural landmarks that just about every human being on Earth has heard of, I would think. Uh, it's located in what mountain range? I'm going to do so many pop quizzes on you tonight. Yeah, great. Great timing for the <laughs> pop quizzes. Um, no, not the Andes. That's South America. Correct. Himalayas? Yes. Okay. Very good. Very good. Um, and or is it Himalayans? Himalayas? It's Himalayas. Himalayas. Or the Himalayan mountains. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and where are they located? Jesus. Continent is okay. Just Continent. I, n- I want to say, I want to say fucking like Northern Africa, but I don't think that's correct. No, I think you might be thinking of Kilimanjaro, maybe, which I is Africa. Know. It's, it's in Asia specifically, uh, the Himalayan mountains run along the Southern border of China uh, and the border that it shares with India, Nepal and Bhutan. So is that also where the great wall is? The great wall of China? I do not know geographically speaking where oh, the great okay. wall of China is. Neither do I. I do, I kind of always got the impression that the Great Wall of China is not along an actual country border, but rather in the middle of the country. But I honestly don't know. All, all I know about it is pretty much relegated to like the Amazing Race. And the second episode in a row, I mentioned Amazing Race. But for our uh, for our spinoff series, all bad movies, we'll do a we'll do a uh, a review of the Great Wall, starring Matt Damon. Oh, that's right. I, I never saw it, but I kind of remember what I it watched out. like the first 40 minutes of it, and it was really it was terrible. terrible. I mean, it oh, was really bad. Oh, is that really when he was bad. pulling the ponytail? Yes. Oh, Jesus. Yes. Okay. It was really bad. Yeah, I can't imagine that being good. It was not. <laughs> the concept I thought was pretty cool, but the, the follow-through, not at all. Mm, okay. So this south... East or sorry, southwestern region of China is actually what is known as Tibet. Oh so yeah, okay. Here's something I didn't know until I did this research exactly where or what Tibet really was. I just knew Dalai Lama fight for freedom, China. Free Tibet, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's because it is part of China. Mm-hmm. Actually, which I, I didn't know that. I thought it was like this maybe tiny little region, you know, like, um, oh, what am I, you know, those itty bitty, like the Vatican or something. Oh, you know, sure. Some, a Luxembourg. Tiny little, yeah, like some tiny little thing, but it's not. It's a pretty big region. Um, but so I'm going to get just a tiny, there's so much background to this shit. Guys, I worked so hard on this episode. <laughs> I'm so over it. So I apologize. But anyway. Um, she hates mountains. <laughs> don't hate mountains. I just hate Mount Everest. <laughs> no. Um, so I just wanted like a super succinct answer. Like, what's the deal with Tibet? And I- I'm not even joking. I literally Googled what's the deal with Tibet. And I found my absolute favorite and explained like I'm five article on Reddit. <laughs> so... Special thanks to Reddit user C Stewart sixteen forty nine because I'm imagining that they answered correctly. I sure hope so. I hope that C Stewart sixteen forty nine is a credible source. But anyway, uh, the region of Tibet was completely under Chinese control during the Qing Dynasty, 
And the Qing dynasty was the last imperial dynasty of China. And it was a super long dynasty. It lasted from the mid-1600s to 1911. So mm-hmm. that's hundreds and hundreds of years. Well, okay, maybe I exaggerate the hundreds. Hundreds of almost years. Almost 300 years. More than three. Well, yeah, almost. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Yeah, it, it goes right in line <laughs> with the, um, oh, my God, of course, now I can't think of it. Anyway. There was another dynasty around that time that lasted about 500 years. That was one of the last ones. In in where? Uh, the Middle East. In where? In where. <laughs> in where? Middle East and Africa. Okay. That dynasty. Oh, that it was, one. It wasn't called a dynasty. It was called something else. Anyway, like rain. Anyway, it ended in World War One. Okay. Gotcha. But now I can't think of it. Gotcha. Um, so when the dynasty fell, there the Qing dynasty fell, there were a bunch of different people who ruled over China, or China. In various areas. <laughs> there was a bunch of people who ruled over China. Because <laughs> he can never pronounce it like a normal human. <laughs> and at this point, Tibet <laughs> Tibet kind of gained like a de facto independence. Not like by default, not by like actual any sort of decree because of the fall of the Qing dynasty. So... Tibet had a structure based on kind of like a feudal society, sure. so serfs mm-hmm. and landowners and monasteries especially. Yeah. So while not all people were necessarily free, in other words, there was a form of slavery because of this social structure. Um, so there's a lot of major class structures that well, kept people in their place. That's kind of good. That is the whole... Uh that that was kind of the thing with feudalism is it's kind of a it's a it's a bit of a half and half. Yeah. Like there's uh there's some people that are kind of free. Right. There are some people that are free. There are some people that own everything and then everybody else is kind of fucked. Although interestingly, one could say the same about the United States. Oh, for sure. <laughs> We're yes. just not officially We've, feudal. <laughs> our modern day structure has often been compared as a feudal Really? Yes, society. Wow. Both feudal and futile, mm-hmm. <laughs> if I may say. Um, so, obviously, that was problematic. Uh, but at this point in the early 20th century, like, the thing that people in Tibet did have going for them, they had food security, which was a big issue in China. There was a lot of famine. That's a, a big lot issue of problems. anytime. Yes, that's very true. Because if um, you can't feed people in your village, community, city, wherever, mm-hmm. you're not going to have one for much, for very long. Right. Um, now, side note, but super important, the Dalai Lama is the supreme leader of Tibet. So it's... It, the, oh, I didn't, is that his actual title? Yes. Oh, this okay. title is really Dalai Lama. It's not his name. No, or, the supreme leader. Is that his title? Oh, no, no, oh, no. Okay. Just the leader. The title is Dalai Lama. Oh, okay. I, yeah, I know, if that makes sense. I know oh, nothing about it. Trust me, all I, really I know is know. what he looks like and yes. what he wears, but yeah. They're so, monks, right? Yes, monks? exactly, yeah. okay. yes. So so the Dalai Lama is like the head honcho of Tibet, like the president of Tibet, basically, I, I except it's not. did not know that. Yeah, me neither. I had to look that up. Well, I found out about it in all this. Education corner, kids. <laughs> come, come corner on, time. Come one, come all. Corner jo- time. Join us. At least I knew that... Tibet was an area as opposed to what, Tajikistan, which I didn't even know existed last week. So, so in 1949, Mao Zedong, Chairman oh, Mao, yeah. and his communist regime took over China and specifically... Took over what country? China. There you go. And specifically went after Tibet. So 
On the one hand, they abolished slavery in Tibet. So it's kind of like, okay, yay. Um, well, I shouldn't have said that. So like, um, like that was maybe not a good thing. So, okay, great. But on the other hand, they were doing away with the traditional Tibetan way of life. Now, naturally, the CIA stepped in. No, <laughs> you're kidding me. Shocker. Shocker, because if there's one this thing... This is the very early days of the CIA, too. Now, I'm not sure exactly what year this was. I mean, I, I do know that... Like, they were formed... Mao was 49, but... Yeah, the CIA was formed post-World War II, like, just after. Yep, so, so this, this would, would be, have been pretty would be much very just early after. on. So they helped arm Tibetan rebels no. against China. We uh, The CIA does that so well. Arming people. <laughs> they do. Actually, yes, yeah. they do. It's one of their skills. Um, but it didn't work. That's also a specialty of the CIA. And uh, if you're listening, hello, friends yes. at the CIA. Hello, CIA. Um, We're on to you. <laughs> they're like, we've been on to you for <laughs> not, years. Not that we can fucking do anything <laughs> <No>. about it. <laughs> but we just know. So it didn't work, and the communist regime took over Tibet. And they also destroyed a bunch of Tibetan monasteries, which is obviously a huge no-no in Tibetan culture because that's like their sacred buildings, right? Um, So since then, the Chinese government has modernized Tibet greatly, which has plus sides like infrastructure, right? Building roads or whatever. But they also greatly encouraged migration to Tibet. Interesting. So like um, Chinese people migrating to Tibet and Tibetans were not very thrilled by this saying that it was destroying their traditional Tibetan culture, which, okay, like fair enough, especially with the monastery destroying. That's a, that's a big deal. Um, but anyway, that's as far as I'm going into it. Thanks to our friend C Stewart 1649 on Reddit. Um, and that's super oversimplified, I'm sure. There's a lot more than that. But anyway, that's just a overview. So now let's get to Mount Everest. So the summit of Mount Everest is, we're starting with our geography corner, right in the middle of the border between Nepal and China, specifically Tibet, the, the Tibetan area of China. So, do, 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 do. so many pictures. Here's a couple pictures of Everest, poor Vu. Oh, that's gorgeous. You have to take it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Isn't it pretty? It's very beautiful. Yeah, I mean, like you can see where this is. He's literally above the the clouds. Mm-hmm. This guy's standing. That's, oh yeah, that's let's insane. let's get into how tall this. The, the, I, was, <laughs> I was trying to decide between this fucker and this bitch, this mountain, this gorgeous <laughs> mountain. I don't know why I was feeling so. Okay. I'm only mildly stressed out at work at the moment. So, <clears throat> this beautiful, gorgeous mountain. <laughs> the nihilism is coming out against it really Earth tonight. Is. So, Mount Everest is the tallest mountain on Earth. It rises 8,848 meters oh, or 29,029 okay. feet. So, that is almost six miles high. Yeah, it's like five and a half miles. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Above sea level. Holy shit. Uh-huh. Wow. Miles into I guess the... I didn't realize it was that high. I know, right? <laughs> That's what you said. Yeah. Get it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I mean, the um, um, cruising altitude for a plane is 10,000 meters, right? Is it? I, be- I believe so. 30,000 30, like, feet, yeah. 10,000 meters. I yeah, think that's, that's yeah. just clearing so, Everest. Yeah, you're yeah. just getting over that motherfucker. 
Damn, I didn't realize it was that See, high. See, you called it a motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, for reference, the second highest mountain is K2, mm-hmm. also in the Himalayas. Also a great Michael Bean movie. <laughs> I have heard of K2 before. I'd never seen it, but... And that is 8,611 meters or 28,251 feet tall. So like 1,000 feet. No, less than 1,000 feet shorter. So, I mean... The Himalayas have some tall-ass mountains. Uh, Now that's the oversimplified version. So according to NOVA, one of PBS's fine programs, the Himalayas and Everest formed millions of years ago, Natch. um, You mean 6,000 years ago? Mm. On the fourth Mm. day. Yeah, well. (laughs) Let there be Everest, and there was Everest. Continue, please. I'm sorry. (laughs) So India, which was at that point itself a recent breakoff of the giant ancient continent known as Pangaea, basically like smushed into Eurasia, the then continent of Eurasia. And I'm the one who used the term smushed, not not Nova. Not not Nova. PBS would never use the term smushed. PBS didn't use smushed. No. So the Indian tectonic plate eventually collided with the plate under Euroasia, and voila, the Himalayas were born. Now, I'm... Hugely oversimplifying, and this happened over many, 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 many years, but anyway. Um, now, it took a shockingly long time, at least in my estimation, for people to, quote, discover Everest. And I say that with big, giant air quotes, the discover, because obviously it was there for millions of years. And because of its location, the people of Tibet and Nepal knew it was there. <laughs> like, it's not like they didn't know there was this huge ass mountain well they were just smart they just didn't tell anybody exactly they were just like they're like we're gonna keep this to ourselves Mm -hmm. okay um and this was obviously they knew of it the indigenous peoples of the area long before westerners ever got wind of it so the people of tibet called it chomalongma which means holy mother sounds about right yeah and in sanskrit it's called sagarmatha Goddess of the sky is how that translates. And in Darjeeling, it was known as Deodanga or Holy Mountain. So there's a obviously like a, a theme here, right? Like there's God or holy or deification in, in the sky is the idea. Um, then in the early 19th century, the British hmm, decided to go survey India, right? Like it's their the British colonial period, yes, let's go ahead, survey India. Specifically... Wait, they didn't ask anybody's permission first? Oh, well, you know how polite the British are. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, back in the day, they were a little less so. (laughs) So, specifically, they were looking for tall mountain peaks. They were trying to survey. They knew there were mountains in, in India and wanted to see, like what are the world's tallest mountains, and then to name them, obviously, right? Claim them for their their own, more or less, as part of a larger project to accurately measure and survey all of India, known as the Great Trigonometrical Survey. So it wasn't until 1847 that they finally started in this whole survey project on measuring the, the Himalayas. And in November of 1847, one worker named John Armstrong spotted a mountain he dubbed Peak B, and that was what would become Everest. So it was notable because it appeared to be taller than the highest known peak at the time, 
which was Kanchenjunga, which is now known to be the third tallest mountain in the world. So they found a really tall one, but then this guy, um, John Armstrong, saw Everest, or Peak B, as it became known, and was like, hey, I think this is actually taller than what we know to be the tallest. Let's, um, let's see if we can get a cannon up there. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that was part of the plan, but okay. It might have been. <laughs> and uh, so uh, the third, high, now known to be the third highest mountain, uh, Kanchenjunga, uh, was in the same general region in the Himalayas. Well, no, not in the Himalayas. Sorry, the Karakoram mountain range on the, along the border of Pakistan and China. So, But the same general region. So a couple of years later, another surveyor named James Nicholson was dispatched to Peak B to measure it. And apparently this was done through observations and calculations comparing the peaks to surrounding topography. Like they basically triangulated it. And he didn't exactly nail the altitude, but he got pretty darn close considering the methods he was using. He estimated a height of 9,200 meters, which is 30,200 feet. So he was about 1,200 feet off. But again, I still think that's pretty good for 1849. Um, And even though his measurements were off, it was still pretty clear that, yeah, Peak B is probably taller than the peak we know to be the tallest. So this is probably the new tallest mountain. So it was renamed Peak 15 and remeasured in following years. And the closer height estimate was 29,002 feet. So they they ended up getting really close by that time, which is (laughs) 8,800. This isn't a number. Look at this number. I I typed it clearly. That that is not a number. No, it's not a number. It could could be if you just move the... Yeah, the I don't it, it's it's I'll I'll let you guys put it into Google. Clearly, I didn't translate it correctly. I, I did a an incorrect number. It's not a number. You never do that. <coughs> <laughs> so, it was proposed that this mountain be renamed from Peak Fifteen to Everest after Sir George Everest, who was a prior Surveyor General of India. Now, interestingly, Everest himself pronounced his name Everest. So we're not even pronouncing the mountain Everest right. sounds better. Everest sounds a lot better than Everest. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. Mount Everest, it doesn't, that Mount doesn't. Everest, yeah. No, Everest yes. sounds very majestic, yeah. Um, now, interestingly, Everest himself, or Everest himself, opposed this mountain being named after him. He was like, no, I don't like it. He didn't like the idea of an anglicized name being given to a region that was clearly not Western. So he he was actually super smart. He was woke. Holy yeah, shit. Look at right. that. He was a, Everest was a woke bay. Who knew? <laughs> um, Talk about being ahead of his time. Yeah. But the royalty. Did he go by they? <laughs> That's not what. <laughs> wo- not all woke people go by they. Oh, hush. So, uh, the, even though he himself opposed it, the Royal Geographical Society was like, well, never mind, we're going to call they're, it Everest anyway. They're like, we're not woke. <laughs> we and, don't care. And fuck you, and that $5 we were going to give you in, in shekels, you're not getting it anymore. Exactly. Everest. Mm-hmm. And we're, and we're going to pronounce it differently. <laughs> so, the first people who started getting the itch 
to actually climb Everest to reach the summit. <laughs> Which I don't fucking understand at all. We're going to get so into that. <laughs> oh, my God. We're, of course... Like, no thanks. <laughs> oh, trust me. We're going to talk so much about that. We're, of course, mountain climbers and explorers of the day. One climber, Clinton Thomas Dent, was one of the first to actually ponder the possibility of it being doable in 1885. So he wrote about it. And now at this point, like it's not even remotely doable. Well, from a practical standpoint, like no one was trying really because it was still a theoretical exercise at this point because no one had ever gone that high basically it was yeah. just so ridiculous in 1885 we still don't have a plane or an automobile that's and, correct and, yeah. these, and these guys are thinking ah it's six miles like we're like, just like, getting into the industrial I, revolution I basically so yeah <laughs> so it wasn't until 1921 that the first exploration to everest um to or even get getting up as far as possible on Everest was launched. Not surprising because our um, our episode where the not the blimp, the Hindenburg. No, okay. the other, the one we just did a couple episodes ago. Airship Italia. Airship. Thank okay. you. I'm like mm-hmm. it's not called a blimp. It's an airship. Gotcha. There, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. went to um, the, North the North Pole, Pole around this time. Yeah, early 20th century. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as technology grew a little yes, bit. Yes, especially I, I transportation like, mm-hmm, technology. I think yeah. people were like, oh, <clears throat> let's, let's take a shot at it. Exploration was huge in the early 20th century. It's still, it's, it's oh, still yes, huge. Oh, yes, it always, always is. Will be. But, like, it was firsts, a lot of firsts mm-hmm. going on. Now it's records and stuff because people have been most and, places. And Mars. Like, they're saying well, we're going to go to Mars in, yes, within 10 years. Yes, but that's interplanetary. We're talking, I'm talking about Earth. Interplanetary, super galactic. What's that from? That's a Beastie Boys song. <laughs> course it is you gotta fight for your right to drink hell's no what am i drinking (laughs) hell yes ma'am were you gonna say hell's bells i was all right (laughs) which is also a beer and a song yes so so they were they were gonna hike up everest but Let's be clear here. You don't just hike up like <laughs> no. some sort of well-trodden little path. Unless, as we saw on the HBO Sports, uh, Real Sports, unless you are uh, a millionaire philanthropist and you want to do Everest and you've never hiked ever in your... So oh my that's God. what it was. I'll yes. get to that later. Okay. But I was I thought it was a 60 Minutes, but you're right. It was, it was a Real Sports. sports. Um, about the Sherpas, especially, mm-hmm. which we're going to get into all that. So, okay. And the cost of climbing Everest. Yeah. We'll get into that. And a bunch of idiots just doing it like, oh, I, I thought I could do it. We will also talk about all that. So, um, so this is like untamed nature. Sure. So, in 1921, the expedition was uh, led by Britain's George Mallory, remember that name, and Guy Bullock, who... Bullock... Bullock, because it's not it's not Sandra Bullock, it's Sandra Bullock. So, so her great great uncle Guy Bullock, and I don't know if they're related. Anyway, led an expedition up Everest on which they discovered a northern approach toward the summit. Um, but this was fucking 1921, and they were definitely not equipped to legit go up 29,000 feet. 
They did get impressively high, though. They got up 7,005 meters, so 22,982 That's pretty fucking high, feet. yeah. And we're talking no oxygen. No, we're not tanks, talking... Tanks, which we'll no, get to again. No North Face gear, no fucking... No. They probably weren't even wearing hats. Oh, I'm sure they were. No, hats. I'm kidding. Everyone I, wore hats back then, even just on. But, but solid that's what ground. they were wearing. They were wearing top hats. They weren't wearing. <laughs> they weren't wearing hats that covered no, their ears. They had like aviator caps with the little sunglasses, probably goggles. Maybe, maybe. So now here is why, or, or here is the point at which we need to discuss why reaching these altitudes is so difficult. Because <laughs> there's no fucking oxygen. Well, yes. So. Or very little oxygen. So here's the thing. For, for one thing, the higher up you go, the colder it gets. Now, if you think, stop and think about it, you're like, well, but wait, you're closer to the sun. You're not farther away from the sun. Well, here's why. Um, counterintuitive fact, atmospheric pressure, mm-hmm. right? So I found a great article on a website called The Naked Scientists. Don't ask me. I did not look any further. I don't know why they're called The Naked Scientists. But anyway. Prob- that was probably a smart move. That explains that the higher you go in the Earth's atmosphere, the lower the atmospheric pressure gets. Under less pressure, the gases in the atmosphere expand. These gases lose energy, and that lowers the temperature. I actually, for not being able to understand science for shit, I do understand that. Excellent. Thank you, Naked Scientist. Yes, thank you. Yeah. I will not be looking you up. <laughs> Just don't look in the about section where they yeah. put pictures. But I that, don't know. But that, <laughs> well, I mean, but that does make sense yes. in, in terms of pressure is what they're yes, speaking exactly. of. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's less condensed, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So nothing is going to be able to spread out the same way it would if there's well, or, less... Or congeal, condense, right. yeah. If there's, uh-huh. less, if there's less pressure. Exactly. So in the warm, and I'm using air quotes again, summer months of July and August, so these are the warm months, right, mind you, it can get up to a balmy zero degrees Fahrenheit. Sweet. (laughs) Or negative 18 Celsius. Just like my hometown. (laughs) Now in the night, in the coldest winter months. I don't even want to know. The average is 33 below Fahrenheit. Fuck, that's fucking cold. Negative 36 Celsius. That doesn't sound right. I don't know. I don't Whatever. know my conversion. It's, it's, it's fucking, fucking cold. cold. Yeah. Now, also. Unsurvivably, for the for yes, most people, yes, cold. Yes, unless you have some sort of massive suit. Not a wet, but something like no, not a, a wet warm suit. suit. Yes. <laughs> a warm suit. Now, Everest also is notorious for its very wicked, wicked wind. I'm sure, Mm because you're so fucking high up in the sky. Right? Of course. Like, no joke. I'm not even joking. Hurricane force winds. And we're not talking like in a cyclone. No, thanks. We're just talking gusts here. No, thanks. So specifically, between October and February of every year, the winds reach over 75 miles per hour (laughs) most Days, my God! Most days of that four-month period or, or five-month period, it, I'm not sure if I've ever experienced that period. <clears throat> I haven't a hurricane, but that's it. Like not outdoors. You, you you're not outdoors in that wind, but in a hurricane, sure. Yeah, but I've never really been through a hurricane. No, I don't think you have. Um, not really? That's cr- holy shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. These winds have been recorded on Everest, reaching as high as 175 oh miles God. per hour. That's like a Category oh 5, God. a strong Category 5 
hurricane. That's, can you imagine? No, I can't. And thankfully, I'll never have to. Yeah. Because I'm never going to do this. Of course, this. why would you ever? <laughs> I'll no, let, I'll let other people no. do it and die. Yeah, yeah, right? Well, oh, trust me, that's why this is six and a half pages long. Jesus Christ, this. Okay, finally, with great altitude comes very little oxygen. Mm-hmm. I, I read that it's like a third of the oxygen available at sea level is available on the peak of Everest. Yeah, I, yeah, I can so imagine, imagine that. imagine cutting your oxygen by two-thirds. Well, Denver is yeah. only a mile-high yes. city. Yes, and we're talking about, people get altitude sickness We're talking there. about this thing... Five and a half miles. Yeah. So. Yeah. Of course. Can you imagine? So because the atmospheric pressure is so low, it makes it harder for oxygen to get into the human vascular system, causing hypoxia, a lack of oxygen. And obviously, our body need, bodies need oxygen to survive. So when there's not much of it, there's not a great chance of survival for very long. And... Uh, in the words of American climber Ed v- v- oh, I should have looked up his, I apologize, Ed, uh, Weisters. Sure. Anyway, he's going to come up later in this story. Uh, he has made it to the top of Everest in more recent times. This is a more modern climber. He said, quote, and this is a climber. This is a guy who's done this multiple times. Listen to this, quote, I'd be literally having to force myself after that 15th breath to take the next step. Up there, you do something that's too aerobic all of a sudden, and you lay there for 10 minutes trying to catch your breath, end quote. Like, can you imagine just not being able to catch your breath for like 10 solid minutes just from walking or making a sudden movement or something? I'm going to stick to uh, jet skiing in front of large oil tankers when I was a kid (laughs) as the most dangerous thing I ever did. Fuck this. No fucking way. It's just, (laughs) it's just, it's just, just, it's just, just, just everything. So here's the thing. This environment is clearly hostile to humans. This is not... Where people are supposed to Probably live. hostile to most animals, period. Now, I'm going to say this once, <clears throat> and then I'm going to back off, because I don't... I know I've appeared judgmental recently, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, want it, I don't want that to be a thread. So I'm going to say this once, and then I'll back off. Why would anyone want to do this? And I wrote, because we are stupid fucking idiots. Okay, now, <laughs> I mean, that is a human species. Now I'm done. I'll stop being judgy McJudgers and so. My take on why we would do this is is I've I think I've talked about this before on the show is exploring is just it's in our DNA. That's is, that's I would, why. I would argue in some people's DNA. Yes, not everybody's. Yeah. Some humans yes. just have that okay. Drive. That thing's five miles in the sky. I've never seen anything like it before. I'm gonna see if I can get to the top. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. That's it's just there. Right. Like going to the moon. I mean, think of why do it because it's there, that sort of thing. Right. Why do it to see if we can? Yeah. Uh, And now, and now going to Mars isn't Uh really even that much of a stretch of the imagination, but I would counter with Malcolm's famous saying of, we were too busy wondering if we could, that we didn't stop and think if we should. should. Yes. There's something, there's something to that as well. Yeah. Um, you mean so, Dr. Malcolm from Jurassic Park? Just so we're, just yes, so we're, just so we're yes, clear. Yes, indeed. Um, <laughs> and I, I wrote, obviously those who are in favor, or even those who just don't hate humans as much as I do, would say that it's a triumph of the human spirit or whatever. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. really, yes. <laughs> so clearly I'm not in favor of this, but anyway. So after that first 1921 expedition, we just kept going back. Sure. And we have for 100 years, right? And back and back and back and back. So starting the very next year in 1922. And just piles of dead bodies since then, I'm oh, sure. Oh, we're going to keep getting into that. Oh, I've got a picture of one. Two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a feeling um, I know what that picture is going to be. You know one of them. Mm-hmm. You know one of them. It's famous. So in 1922, explorer George Finch at least got the bright idea to use oxygen. So that was smart. And he reached... He was on top of his game that day. <laughs> he reached 8,320 meters. That's so... That's still... That's holy shit. high. He that's was still... The, that's almost five miles high. Mm-hmm. He became the first human on record ever... To have reached an altitude higher than 8,000 meters. Except for Jesus. I'm just going <laughs> to think about that for a second. In what context? I have no idea, but he, prob- <laughs> but he probably did it. Somebody's probably said There's that no he did it. There's no levitation miracle. Yeah, who knows? Jesus. He do I whatever. mean, he did ascend into heaven, there you supposedly. Go. Okay. I'm just going to move on. So, <laughs> the first... Deaths recorded as a result of attempting to climb Everest also happened in 1922. Seven Nepalese porters, Sherpas, Mm -hmm. the Sherpa people, died when British explorers had them lead them up the mountain. Um, And that's not the, that is the first time, but it's certainly not the last time that happened. So now here's where we discuss the role of Sherpas. Now, um, that was covered well in that HBO Real Sports, mm-hmm. which I would recommend watching. What was that? It was from last year, maybe? A year or two ago. Yeah. Look up Real Sports Mount Everest on yes. YouTube. It, it was sure very interesting. Or they, if you have the HBO app, I'm pretty sure they archive all those. Mm-hmm. So. And they interviewed uh, Sherpa people, like actual yes. people who served one of the guy who guides. One of the guys who somehow survived, but he had to have his hand amputated. Oh, my God, yes. Some of yeah. the horrible yeah. stories. Because yes. his hand was so frostbitten. Yes. Yeah. Um, so the Sherpas are an ethnic group of people. The, the term Sherpa is often... Like associated with these guides, but that's, it's, what, that's but, exactly what I think of. But it's an ethnic group. Oh, it's, it's okay. It's not like it's not used. It's used as a synonym okay. for well, guides on Everest. But education it's, corner part exactly. two. Exactly. It's it's an ethnic group of people indigenous to the Nepalese area. I no shit. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. I did and not the Himalayas. Know that. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, uh, it is theorized that they might be so good. As guides, because they have naturally evolved to adapt very well sure. to the high altitudes. Absolutely. Because um, we're so talking about generations of people. Exactly. Yep. So that there might actually be something a little different about their brain or their blood chemistry. Because of course there brain. is. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so they're indigenous to eastern Nepal and the Himalayas specifically. And because they're... From such a mountainous region, they're known for generations upon generations for being very deft mountaineers. They're just excellent at, because that's where they live, right? I also want to say, uh, because I, I love big cat documentaries, mm-hmm. snow leopards are one of the rarest creatures mm. on earth to see, and I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure this is the only place they live is in the Hi- Himalayas. Okay, I actually, because I already had six and a half 
pages, I sort of glossed over the flora and fauna of Everest. But so that's interesting. I, I did not know that. I didn't look into that. So um, in the early days. That's of, for all you snow leopard fans out there. <laughs> they are pretty. They, they're they're pretty. gorgeous. And because, uh, all right, in the early days of British exploration on Everest, they were invaluable to the British because Absolute, they knew yeah. the topography. They knew what was what there. And they also Do you think knew. those little British boys knew what the fuck they were doing? And they also tried to convince them, no, this is where we stop. Like, we don't go any this is where further we stop. than this. Or also. You can keep going. Yeah. <laughs> if you want. Like, we'll be here. There's probably, like. One stop where it's like, this is where you need to stop. We can keep going, but you need to stop. Then part two would be like, okay, no, we're not even going after this. You can go up and risk your fucking lives. But um, the Sherpa people are also highly reverential of Mount Everest. Remember all those names? Yeah. The High Goddess, sure. the Holy Mother, all that stuff. Um, it's and they kind consider of, it, it's it kind to of, be... It's kind of theirs. Yes, they consider it to be deif- like a deity. Mm-hmm. A, a, they deify it. I can see that. And some believe that the peak of Everest is the home of the Buddhist goddess Milangangma. I think I did pretty good on that. Um, I hope I did. If I had a bell, I would ring it. <laughs> Ding! I'll do deference to our Buddhist listeners. I hope I got that right. So, of course, Westerners have been using and exploiting the knowledge uh, and the resources of the Sherpa people in a highly problematic way for many decades. We are not getting into what a trash heap Everest has become because of tourism. Oh, my God, that too. They covered that on that same real sports. watch that because I I couldn't. It was already six and a half pages, people. I'm sorry. I didn't get into that. But But they do get disgusting. It's an absolute disaster because Western people ruin everything. Um, So, and not the least of which of all this exploitation of the Sherpa people is the fact that the first people who died trekking Everest were Sherpa people because of the fucking British. I'm not saying the British per se. Westerners, but, you know, still. Um, We can still blame things on the British. It's okay. Okay. Right, Akshay? (laughs) I do love Love Island. There you go. So it's okay. (laughs) So the expeditions to summit, remember, we still haven't reached the peak of Everest here. Oh, that's here. true. Yeah, <laughs> nobody, close. oh my God, haven't that's right. Haven't reached it yet. Um, continued over the years, and so did the deaths. I was just going to say, there, uh, the, the trail of dead bodies to get to the top of this thing must well, be. Well, it, it was surprisingly few in the early days, just because there were fewer people attempting it, right? Yeah, there were fewer, there were fewer idiots. <laughs> Four people died in 1924 scaling the mountain. Including the aforementioned George Mallory. Not surprising. Mm-hmm. Let's let's uh, let's meet George Mallory. This is George Mallory, little little cute British boy. This is a strapping young lad. Yeah, a strapping one. young lad. Um, would you like to see what he looks like? <laughs> when he looks like dead. Yeah. Okay. Here, there's another. That's George Mallory. Uh, so that is George Mallory when he was found. That's not so good. You know when he was found? Yeah, that's oh, the this famous. One I have seen. You know green yes. boots. Yeah, yep, I'm gonna I've get to that, that in a second. Okay. George George Mallory. You know when he was found? I'm gonna guess this is a couple years later because his body looks pretty bloated. He was found in 1999. Oh my god! Holy shit! Seventy. 
75 years Holy later. Christ. That's, that's his body 75 years that's later. That's why he's literally like a part of the mountain now. A part of the mountain. And also, do you notice there's flesh still on his bones? Yes. 75 Cause, years. Because it's Because he's preserved. Frozen. He's frozen. Yeah. You know, people joke about wanting to be cryogenically frozen or whatever. Like, this is essentially it. This guy tried without yeah. without realizing that's what he was going to wind yep. up doing. But yep. holy Christ. Um, Two other climbers died between 1935 and, and sorry, 1934 and 1952. But then on May 29th, 1953, Edmund Tillery, a name we've heard. Oh, I know that. Before, yes. Uh-huh. And Tenzig Norgay became the first summiteers, if that's a word, to reach the top of Mount Everybody stop. Exactly. It's been done. Like, Go home. Please stop. Just fucking stop. And Somebody did it. I'm still watching Love Island because I said, obvs, no. <laughs> because human brains don't work like that. So um, Everest is still incredibly popular to climb to this day. Decades, like 66 years after that first successful ascent. I I can do it too. It's to a point where it's legit crowded on Everest. Yes, yes. And I'll have some pictures there. And it's like basically a tourist trap at this point, which is... Okay, and kind of in my mind, good. Like, go up there and... but, But they pollute and just... It's... Part of me is like, go up there and die. Like, if you're that stupid. But they're endangering other people's lives. And I understand it's also part of the local economy. It's it's super problematic and complicated. And The Real Sports does a good job of kind of covering that side of it. It takes special permission to be allowed to climb Everest. There are permits given by the Nepalese government. Yeah, meaning if you... Uh, the tourism board. I mean, if you sling them a you know, couple hundred Gs. Oh, like, no, no, no. It's a specific... Do you oh, know how really? much it cost to get a a Nepalese uh, permit to climb Everest? I'm going to go with $5,000. If you go up, if you go through Tibet, remember, because there's the Tibet side Mm -hmm. and the Nepal side, Tibet charges $8,000. So you can go a little cheaper if you want to, if you want to Everest on a budget, go if, for If you have a fucking that. death wish, uh, one of them costs you $3,000 less. Jesus Christ. Like, no thanks. You also have to go with guides. You have to go with Sherpa people up the mountains. I hope it gets to the point where they're Obtain just like... Obtain extra insurance. I hope it gets to the point where they're just like, no, it's up there. There just, you go. Just go. Yeah. Just, yeah, just go. Um, so <laughs> apparently, just the trek up and down Everest runs between thirty and $70,000. Dollars. Holy fucking! Well, because yes, because you have to pay the Sherpas, you have to the pay equipment, the guides. Well, you, food. You, you have to go with like a tourist group. Sure. Yeah. You know, there's yeah, a that whole. Makes sense. It's a whole thing. Um. Now, despite this, yeah, last, it's, for, it's for fucking rich assholes that yes, think. Yes. I mean, you know, I mean, not to dog on dog on anyone in our audience who might be into this, but. Ugh, this does not sound like a good idea in any way. No. Um, it sounds like a, um, a vanity project. That's exactly what the yeah. fuck it is. Like, what What else would it be? Like, Now, despite God. the cost, last year, 2018, 
807 people reached the summer, summit of Everest. So it's not even I'm really a rare feat I'm actually surprised it's that many. Yeah. Now, those are just the people who reached it. Those aren't the people who tapped out early. Oh, no, I understand. Mm-hmm. But who reached it, I would have capped that at like 150 people. It's not even really rare anymore. No. So what's I mean, the fucking point? Y- That's a good question. Just get on. Just Okay, all these people that want to spend all this money on this bullshit... Just get on one of Elon Musk's rides to the fucking moon or to space or wherever the fuck he's going to Jupiter. Just do that instead. Like yeah. nobody's done that before. Yeah. Yeah. True. And, and you're true. not and you're not coming back from that either. We don't want you back anymore. <laughs> yeah. Now that so also last year, six people died trekking Everest, including three Sherpas. And that's so, the saddest part. I know. Yeah, Jesus. I know. Um, so basically, every year on Mount Everest is a bad thing, and we could record an entire podcast about each year and the people who died. Should we go to Everest and record a live bad thing on Everest? No. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> After we just dogged it like we did? Come on. After this dude's body was, wasn't found for 70 years and, and is, is, and you is know now I, like a part of the mountain? I feel like I accidentally took this out. Anyway, this is Green Boots. I wrote his name... Shit. That's a very famous, that photo. It is a very famous picture. This happened, I want to say, in like the late 90s. I, f- I thought I wrote it down and I can't find it now. But anyway, I'm pretty I had sure his it did. name and the, everything. The, I do remember the first time I saw this, I was reading like a, ne- a National Geographic magazine about Everest. Okay. And they were showing, because if you die on the mountain, the thing you. is you you'll, your soul will get to the top mm-hmm. if you die. So that's why they just leave people there. But there was something well, about this. Well, that and it's treacherous to get them back down. That too. But there was something about this because he's just, it looks like the dude's just taking a nap. Kind of. I mean, he's a little buried in snow, but yeah. But he's fucking dead oh, yeah. as dead. That's a preserved dead body. Frozen mm-hmm. dead body. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Shit. A recorded, to date, as in right now, this will change next year and the year after and the year after, 304 people have died. That's it? Climbing Everest. I I would have put that... Okay, I would have put the people who made it to the summit, I would have changed those numbers. Now, that's deaths. That's not injuries. It's not a lot of things. But anyway. I would have put 304 made it to the summit and 800-something died. That that would have been my... uh, But it's the reverse. And and exactly like we said, many of them are still up on the mountain because I hadn't heard the soul thing, but Mm -hmm. recovering the bodies is super dangerous. So... Now, despite this, we are finally going to get our, to our actual disaster. Oh, my God. That's right. <laughs> I know. An hour later. Yes. Later. And focus on one event atop Everest in May of 1996, a I, blizzard. I, I, I was going to say, I almost have a feeling how this is going to go without even getting into it. Well, it's not going to go well. No. So, now we get into the 1996 Everest disaster. So May is the primo hiking season on Everest, right? Um, Each year. And from what I could tell, it's pretty much the only time anyone climbs, although I also saw reference to a fall season. So it's just, it just has to, I'm sure, to do with the weather and and wind and whatnot. I'm going to go in no season. That's what I'm I'm going to, fucking Mount Everest. I'll go with you. Yeah. (laughs) So in May of 1996, everyone was all gung-ho to complete their New Year's resolutions (laughs) and climb the tallest peak in the world. It was a busy season, per usual, 
with expeditions being led from Taiwan, America, New Zealand, South Africa, blah, 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 like on and on and on, right? Because this is an international destination, clearly. One of the companies leading an expedition was Adventure Consultants, based in New Zealand and originally named Holland Ball Adventure Consultants. Why you look okay. very because I could swear we have mentioned that company before, no. but I guess not. This is their original um, logo. You have to take the papers I hand to you. Oh, well, I, I, th- <laughs> I, think you're, I think you're just showing me. That's pretty. Uh, that's Isn't pretty, that 90s? I was just going to say that's pretty 1992. Is it what looks I'm like Saved by the Bell or something like that. Yes. That logo. It looks like whoever created this logo was also wearing um, uh, jorts at the time. Wearing what? Jorts. Jeans, oh, George or, or Jordash jeans yeah. maybe, and a scrunchie, maybe. Definitely a scrunchie. Yeah. So the company was founded in 1991 by friends and adventurers Gary Ball and Rob Hall. Wow. Yeah. And, and such Hall an original, and such an original name. Yeah. How did they come up with it? I know. Did you research that? How they came up with the name? Well. <laughs> In 1990, the year before they started the company, Holland Ball gained a measure of fame by climbing the Seven Summits. So that is the highest mountain in each of the seven continents. Okay. Can you name any of them? You know, you know Asia. Okay. Yeah. Um, Everest. <clears throat> um. Well, in South America, <clears throat> the Andes. The Andes. I think or is that a range? It's, that a, it's a peak. It's a single peak we're okay. talking about. The highest peak. I don't, I don't know it's, my peaks. It's Aconcagua. I'm sure. Cahua. Yeah. In South America. That's the one. Denali in Alaska. You All know right. Denali? You've never heard of Denali? I know Denali as a Car. package from yeah. GM. Okay. <laughs> um, Vincent in Antarctica. Mont Blanc in Europe. We know oh, that. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. That's right. Okay. Kilimanjaro, anybody? Okay. In Africa. It's got and kill right in the title. Kosciusko, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, in Australia. Okay. So that's called the Seven Summits, and that's going to come up again. So so they they were famous for being, uh, for, for having climbed the Seven Summits. So the next year, they started their adventure company. Uh, they took clients up to the summit of Everest. That was the whole point. In 1993... Tragedy befell the duo. They were climbing Mount Dalagiri, which is also in the Himalayas, when Balls, Gary Ball, suffered a high-altitude pulmonary edema. That's like fluid around the lungs brought on by high altitude. Um, And he died. And Ball remained on the mountain. Because Hall buried him in a crevasse on the mountains. And his body was recovered a, a decade later. And buried by his family. So Rob Hall decided, <laughs> well, let me just keep going <laughs> with this. And in 1996, he was the expedition leader up Everest for Adventure mm-hmm. Consultants. He was 35 years old at this point. That, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Fairly younger yeah. guy. Yeah. His fellow guides were a 37-year-old Australian named Mike Groom and a 31-year-old <clears throat> New Zealander named Andy Harris. And both were experienced guides. This is also, now that I think of it, too, this is 1996, okay? Mm-hmm. This is also at a time 
when extreme sports become a big thing. Yes, like X Games sort of stuff. Yes, and extreme sports, I mean, obviously mountain climbing isn't necessarily regarded as an extreme sport, but it's in 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 the the realm. Yes. Like, it it counts. Right. It's not like like, a sport in the Olympic sense. It's more of an adventure type thing. So this okay. So this mm-hmm. is all kind of making sense okay. how this how this comes to be. Okay. Not that this wouldn't have happened either way, right? But there is more of a, I think at this time in history, much more of a curiosity about this sort of thing because of, like, re, just culture. Yeah, Western culture. At it's the like time, football, yeah. we baseball, we've done that. Like hockey. This is something new and extreme. Yeah, like mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, so these three guides had in tow their seven clients, most of whom were in their 40s and 50s. So, you know, peak (laughs) physical condition. Oh, fucking thank you. And their eight Sherpa guides. Now, there were other guides along the way, so it wasn't just these eight Sherpas who... who Sure, they, 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 you know... <laughs> they pass the baton to the, here's the next. Yeah, crew. yeah, yeah. like to back. an extent. Mm-hmm. Try not to die. Have fun up there. Right now, in addition to their seven clients, they had one additional person with them, um, a 42 year old man named John Krakauer, who, if the name sounds familiar, wrote a little yes. book bestseller in '96 called Into the Wilds. No shit. Yep. About the adventures and eventual death of Christopher McCandless, yes. who famously died in alone in Alaska. in Alaska from starvation and stupidity. I'm sorry. No, no, no. He no. He went out on his own. What the fuck hey, did he do that for? I love that movie. I I've never, never read. Seen the movie. I've never read that book. No. Okay. Now that I have my mm-hmm. Audible subscription, I go. think I will get that book. Okay. I look at that guy as. A complete nonconformist and somebody who wanted That's to do fine. wanted to do his own thing, and he, I'm, and he died because of it. But oh well, I'm, you know. I mean, stupid and like, uh, oh, you, you little, like, give him a noogie, like, you no, know, like a little brother no. sense. Like you should have known better, but you didn't because you're a, a kid, and yeah, you know, we do stupid shit when we're young. No, I meant I, that I, endearingly. I, I, I meant stupid endearingly. <laughs> I don't. I know we've talked about that, but I, yeah. I have a serious admiration for that guy. Okay, I really do. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. But we yeah, have when you said the guy's name, I was like, I was like, why do I know the name John Krakauer? I literally wrote here that he died alone, likely from starvation in yes. Africa. No, I know Alaska. that's not true. It's Alaska. <laughs> it's fucking Alaska. I wrote, if anyone requests a script, I'm going to cross that out and put Alaska. I I'm know I'm going to make better. sure it's left in. <laughs> now, Krakauer, John Krakauer at the time was writing for Outside Magazine, and he received a very deep discount for his place on the tour. So, in other words, it didn't cost him the 30 to 70 Well, he grand. was probably reporting on it. Well, that, yeah. and also, Outside Magazine exchanged part of his fee for... Uh, going up the mountain for advertising space in the magazine by Adventure Consultants. Sure. So that's kind of, it was like a deal. Was oh, a deal. yeah, of mm-hmm. course. Now, also... Because the only people who are reading Outside Magazine are people who are going to try to go up this exactly. fucking mountain. Now, also making a venture to the summit was a group led by Scott Fisher of Mountain Madness. So Fisher was 40. Not the right name at all. Like... <laughs> 
<laughs> like really let's not go mad on the mountain yeah let's, let's let's have complete disrespect for the mountain we'll just call it mountain, mountain madness. madness like it's, it's a wild like it's a fucking ride cap, yeah yeah exactly no so, that, that's the wrong attitude like <laughs> right from the get-go so he was 40 years old and an experienced climber he had already been to the peak of everest in 1994 and became one of the first to Americans simultaneously with the aforementioned Ed Vesters. Vesters? Oh, yeah. we yeah. Yes, we talked about him before. I quoted him, yeah. To reach, I'll go with Vesters. To reach the peak of K2 without supplemental oxygen. So they free climbed up. And that thing is only what? It was a th- like 1,000 feet less? Yeah, like 1,200 so, like feet or something like that. fucking close enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he had co-founded Mountain Madness in Seattle with his friends Wes, Wes Krause and Michael Allison. Allison soon dropped out, so to share. So it was just the two guys, basically. And along with Fisher were guides Neil Beetleman and Anatoly Burkreev. There, there was definitely going to be an Anatoly in this episode. I, <laughs> I knew it. They also had eight clients and seven Sherpas with them. And Mountain Madness had their own VIP client with them, a woman named Sandra Hill Pittman, who was attempting to become one of the first, or rather one of the few women, to reach the summit of Everest. And more specifically, or sorry, I think she was the 34th woman to reach the summit of Everest, but yeah. she was one of the few women to have ever completed the seven summits, which I mentioned Okay, before. that's Okay, that's cool. I like that. Uh, what was her name again? I'm sorry. Sandra, Sandra Hill Pittman. Okay. Sandra Hill Pittman. There were 33 women that did this before you. It's not remarkable anymore. Like, just stop. Exactly. So very, well, it may or may not be quick, but a slight diversion and super important explanation here. Um, there are very distinct phases to climbing Everest, right? It's I'm not, not like yeah. you just boop, 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 no. boop, 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 up the steps, right? You're going to have to camp out at some point. E- multiple points, sure. yes. Um, so I, I I, may not have even mentioned this. I don't think I did. Um, the average amount of time it takes to scale Everest and then come back down, how long does that take, do you figure? I'm going to guess 10 days. 40 Days, Holy average. shit. Because you have to acclimate to the altitude. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's Samsonite again. It's, oh, my God. It's some shit. Yeah. So so these l- sort of phases of Everest have ever-increasing levels of treachery. Yeah. Right? Sh- because... Shows you how much I know about mountain climbing, and, and, that, <laughs> and that's about all I want to know. So the first phase... I mean, once once you get into basically like the foothills is base camp. Yes. Right? So it's mm-hmm. literally camping. But it, it's at a high altitude still. And this is where most of the pollution takes place. Yeah, I believe so, mm-hmm. yes. Uh-huh. And that's at 17,700 feet. Jesus so 5,400 meters. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, it's basically like a big campground, base camp, right? Now, uh, the main concern as far as danger goes here is avalanches. Mm -hmm. Avalanches are a risk the entire mountain, right? Anytime you're around mountains, that's a risk. Which I hate to keep bringing up the real sports episode, but (laughs) they also showed one in that episode. Mm -hmm. Yep. In which a bunch of people died. That's a really good episode of real sports. I definitely recommend watching that. Yep. 
Um, now then, between 18,000 and 20,000 feet, or 5,500 meters to 6,100 meters, is known as icefall. And this is Come kind on. of a picture of that. That just so, looks treacherous as shit. Yeah, again, it looks like avalanches. A, it looks like you're on a fucking asteroid. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's very... Um, I Because I was so fucking cramming to finish this. I didn't read fully into the icefall. But basically, this is a pretty treacherous... <laughs> treacherous portion of the climb. I fucked it up, too. <laughs> Because uh, there's climbing ice walls, there's icicles that can fall on you. I do believe opening under your feet. I do kind of believe like this is the uh, like the do or die part of the expedition. Oh, one of many. Oh no, there's more. There's more. Oh, okay. There's several. Oh yes. Oh yes. Most of them. (laughs) True. We haven't even gotten to the death zone. Oh my god. Oh, that's right. Yeah. 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 So this is basically just an incredibly unstable area because of the ice and the conditions of the ice. Now, camp one of four. We're going to go through four camps. So we did base camp, got through icefall. Now we're at camp one, another campground, right? That looks really pretty, though. It does. It, well, it, there's no denying this is gorgeous. I know, but... No denying this is But too bad that this is... 5,000 miles in the air. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a, another campsite apparently filled with very creepy sounds of, like, ice cracking and just well, it unsettling looks like, noise. I'm sure. It's also known as the quiet zone, apparently, because of, like, you're not hearing anything except, like, creepy noises around you. And look at all the fucking tent. Look at all uh-huh. these people. Oh, yeah. No. Oh, yeah. Oh, it gets worse. Bunch of fucking idiots. Um, now, Camp 2 is at 21,000 feet, or 6,400 meters. Again, just kind of looks like a campsite. Uh, also notice way less tents. Yeah? Well, in this picture. I mean, this isn't the same hey, view. Hey, I'm just going to go with either some people dropped out, some people well, are yes. dead, some people are... Not everybody makes it this far, I'm sure. Oh, no. At I'm, every I'm sure, point, people are dropping out. I'm sure not everybody makes it to base camp. I'm not sure yeah, everybody makes it to camp one. Mm-hmm. Um, next is camp three, or the Lhotse Wall. It's 22,300 feet to 26,300 feet, or 6,800 to 8,000 meters. It is basically a solid ice slope up. Jesus Christ, look at that. Yeah. You so. can't you can't see that. Well, but, but I'm gonna I, post I'm gonna post these pictures. So now next, can you imagine trying? Okay, this, these, oh, are, I know. these are all modern day photos for the most yes, part, yes, right? Yes, yes, uh huh. Can you imagine trying to scale this fucking thing in 1921 or whenever no! the first like, 53 yeah, they made it up. because in 1921 the dudes they're all wearing wool. Again, they're they're wearing yeah. they're wearing top hats. <laughs> they don't they don't even have shoes. <laughs> Come on. Uh, but this is all. But this I know. Is all, I don't get. I don't all of know. these pictures remind me of walking by a North Face store. Yeah. That, that's what they yeah. all. You're right. Yeah. I, do you know how much North Face equipment is still on Everest? Fuck, like tons all of, of it. it. Yes. Yeah. All right. Now, nearing the summit above 26,000 feet or 8,000 meters is Camp 4, also called oh my God, wow. the Death Zone. Look at that, though. Oh, it's gorgeous. It's 
gorgeous. You can see the fucking curvature of the earth. Oh, I know, yeah. Wow. Isn't that amazing? It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. There's no denying this is beautiful. Absolutely amazing. Too bad the earth is flat. (laughs) (laughs) But look at that. You can see the the curvature. I know. Holy Christ. Yeah. Now, the only thing left after the death zone or um, uh, camp four is the summit. Now, this is going to be a picture of people walking from the summit. I kind of hope some of those people fall. Well, here's the thing. To the, now I put it somewhere, to the right of here is a 10,000 foot drop. To the left of here is an 8,000 foot drop. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to okay, well, talk I, I t- about this I, t- in a I take that back. That, that, was, that was mean to say. Yeah, because you were but saying you hope at, these people die. <laughs> look at the... It's like a fucking line of school children. Like, it's, it's just... I am surprised this many yeah. people made it. Yeah. Well, because those 807 people who made it in 2018 were making it within a super cramped period of time. That's true. You know, they're yeah. not... It's not over a year. It's over like a very short window. And all these, how do you, uh, okay, well, maybe we'll oh, get into it. It's, it's even, it's a little treacherous because uh, yes. of the traffic. You have to yeah. be super careful with all those people. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it's the, the time, amount of time, average amount of time it takes to go from like normal ground to the summit and back again is 40 days. Yeah. Because you're acclimating to the altitude and we'll get into that a little bit here. So. Let's get back to our two climbing teams, right? We've got Adventure Consultants and Mountain Madness. Um, They began their adventure in March of 1996, taking a helicopter to Lukla, a village in Nepal about 38 miles or 61 kilometers away from base camp. So their whole adventure started with a 10-day, 38-mile hike to base camp from this village. So it just took them 10 days to just get to, to the just base. Just to get to base camp. <laughs> yes, exactly. And that's when they started adjusting to the altitude. So they did that by taking additional climbs up, but then going back down to base camp to acclimate their bodies to the altitude. That was the idea. Like recon missions, I sure. guess, you know. Now, they eventually made, actually started making their way up the mountain. They got to Camp 1. Got to Camp 2, finally made it to Camp 3, and on May 9th was the first casualty of all the expeditions. Remember, there were multiple expeditions. It wasn't just these two. But somebody in one of the other expeditions did die, Um, a Taiwanese man named Chen Yunnan, who didn't wear his crampons, and I wrote, ha-ha, but no. (laughs) Because crampon sounds like tampon. Anyway, uh, it's just the spiky things that go on the bottom of your boots to like sure. dig into the ice. <laughs> um, so you don't slip. Well, he didn't wear them and he slipped and he fell into a crevasse. Sherpas were able to rescue him, but he died from internal injuries like on the mountain. Yeah. So. And you know what happens to you if you die in the middle of a hike on an expedition? Everyone else goes on without you. That's how it fucking works. So that's what they did. Um, That's how creepily normal dying is on Mount Everest. So So they continued on. They got to the death zone. Gamp. Gamp. Jesus Christ. Camp four. (laughs) 
tone notes. I'm just so over this. <laughs> That's what you want to hear from your podcast host. <laughs> I'm just so over this. All right. Somebody else take over. <laughs> so that afternoon, uh, a big storm blew in with gale force winds. Now, quick God, refresher. Jeez, I know. Gale oh, force God. winds are between 39 and 54 miles per hour. So imagine you're at a place called the death zone. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and Gale Force on wins. top of that. <laughs> uh-huh. So this was on the like into the evening of uh, May 9th into like the wee hours of May 10th. Now the idea was that they were going to climb overnight into May 10th to get to the summit. But because of these Gale Force winds, I was like, are we going to be able to? Are we not going to be able to? It put the schedule in pretty serious jeopardy. But the weather cleared around 7.30 that evening, so they decided to just keep going as originally planned. A total of 33 people continued on, hike up the mountain. Remember, after the death zone, it's basically the summit, and that's that. If you, so you're get, on through, the, you're if you on get through the death zone... You're on the final lap here, exactly. It's gravy. Well, no. Well, no, it's... No, 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 no. Oh, Farthest okay. front. We are going oh, to get okay. into that. No oh, okay. is the answer to that. <laughs> You're not even... So, watered down gravy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Icy gravy. So, <laughs> a total of 33 people continued on around midnight on May 10th, including many members of the Adventure Consultants and Mountain Madness teams. I couldn't find necessarily all the names of the people who continued on, I don't think it was every member of both teams because the math just doesn't pan out. And there were people from other expeditions going up. So anyway, just suffice it to say it wasn't everybody from both of those teams. But the leaders, obviously, the people leading the expeditions, and then some of the clients and Sherpas. So the plan was to reach the summit, obviously. It's a whole point of this whole fucking thing. But a turnaround time was established for 2 p.m. on May 10th. So what that is, is a time where uh, the leaders of an expedition say, if we haven't reached the summit by this time, and it was 2 p.m. in this case, we're turning around regardless of where we are. We're If we're not at the summit, we're not going to make it to the summit that day. It's like a hard stop, right? To make sure you make it back down in time before there's any potential issues. And they chose 2 p.m. based on the weather conditions of that day. So that was the idea. Now, there were unplanned delays along the route. Apparently, uh, so Rob Ball from uh, Rob Hall. Gary Hall, Rob Ball. That's super confusing that their names are so similar, but I think it was Rob, yeah, Rob ball no wait i'm getting these names wrong hold on i just want to check it's not rob ball it's rob hall motherfucker <laughs> which one are you rob oh i'm sorry i'm, I'm, so... I'm of no help no you're not but that's okay i should know this <laughs> it's gary ball and rob hall okay i rob Hall, sorry, it's Rob not Hall. Paul. It's Rob almost, Paul. Almost as if it's one word, Rob <laughs> Hall. I'm oh Gary my Paul. god, this is so confusing. So Rob Hall 
and Scott Fisher, <laughs> Fisher's a lot easier, of Mountain Madness, uh, had instructed their Sherpas to install fixed ropes along the route. So these are ropes that are bolted in so sure. you can pull yourself along, right? The idea is that makes it easier for less experienced climbers to climb because they have guide ropes, basically, right? So uh, they had previously instructed the Sherpas to install them, but for some reason the Sherpas had not done that. So they needed to, so they had to scramble ahead and add these ropes while everyone else was waiting. So that caused a delay. It was like an hour delay or so. And then I think there was another point at which there was another half hour delay. So it it put them behind schedule a bit. Now, as... (laughs) As they're waiting for this to be done, they're literally just hanging out at like 28,000 feet. So, um, and then progress was just slow because some of the climbers were not very experienced at all. And so they were really just slow. These are extreme conditions for even experienced climbers. And some of the people present, not terribly well trained, <laughs> maybe not even mountain climbers in any way, just tourists. And so they were not doing so hot. So by 11.30 that morning, three members of the Adventure Consultants Expedition um, decided, they they were the clients, decided like, look, we're not making it to the summit by two. We're just going to turn around now. So very smartly, they're like, fuck this, turned around, headed back. Um, Everyone else carried on and they reached Hillary Step named after Edmund Hillary, obviously. So Hillary Step is why I said it's not gravy from here. So this is Hillary Step. I'm pointing to this part mm-hmm. on the map. But basically... So that's not the summit you're showing me. That that's is the, the summit. summit. Okay. This is the path to get there, and it's really hard. It's nearly vertical. It's hard to tell in this picture. Sure. But basically, it's... It's a near vertical slab of mountain that leads to the the summit. And it's like the gut punch before the finish line. And like I said, you slip to the right, you plummet 10,000 feet. You slip to the left, you plummet 8,000 feet. And there's, look at how thin that is. I know. Like a single file. It kind of almost makes, like the more I look at that picture, Mm -hmm. as dumb as all these people are, I am somewhat impressed by it. Because they've got to all be thinking, we've made it this far. Yeah. We're fucking going to the oh, top. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We were going to the tippity top. Mm-hmm. Like, ah, Jesus. Yeah. Yep. I'm so conflicted and not conflicted in this episode at the same time. I know. <laughs> yeah. So this is dangerous. This is extremely dangerous. But to be clear, this <clears throat> was extremely dangerous because apparently Hillary's step is no more. It doesn't exist because it was destroyed in an earthquake in 2015. Oh, okay. So apparently that's not even a thing anymore. The summit is different. As, okay. Or that area of the summit is different as a result. So that's yet another disaster on Everest we can go into at some point. But so the, the everyone continued who, who was continuing went on to the summit and the first of the climbers reached the summit of Everest around 1 p.m. on May 10th. And so they were triumphant and yay and great. Let's all turn around, go home, be happy. Yeah, that's not how this turned out. We know that, though. 
So in spite of the turnaround time of 2 p.m., right? If they didn't reach the summit by 2, that was that. Now, some of them had already reached it by 1, but there were stragglers who had not reached it yet. And some people were still making their way toward the summit after 2 p.m. And then that carried on until after 3 p.m. Fisher was not enforcing the turnaround time, and he was con- letting his team's clients continue. I can, um, I, there's a part of me where I can almost understand that. It's because it's, it's like you're so fucking close. But you're but not. You are not as close true. as you think you are if it's taking you like two hours to get this little distance right. because of how treacherous it is. So, But here's the thing. His clients were like, well, it must be okay for us to keep going because he's letting us. Because he's the expert, right? But they were also noting that he was starting to look a little sick. Fisher was. Okay. Okay. So one of Fisher's guides, the aforementioned Anatoly, right? Uh, I'll just call him Anatoly because that's easier than (laughs) Bukreev. Anyway, he was one of the first to reach the summit. And he's like, he hung around for a while helping people. And then he's like, I'm getting back down. Part of the reason for that was that he was not using supplemental oxygen. He was doing this. I mean, he was an experienced climber, obviously, but he was doing this without, without a tank at all. So it makes sense that he would want to head back. Right. Um, now Rob Hall, I did write it correctly. There was also very lax with the turnaround time. Remember again, it's supposed to be 2 PM and out we go, but no, Fisher was letting it happen, and he was seeming a little sick. Rob Hall was also slack with the turnaround time. He was specifically helping one of his clients, Doug Hansen, who was having trouble making it up the Hillary step. So at one point, the Sherpas had told him, like, hey, look, we're out of time. You got to turn back around. And he was like, no, I'm not doing it exactly what you said. I made it this far. I'm getting up to the fucking summit. And for that reason, Hall was like, damn it, man, you know, okay, I'm going to help you then because you can't do this on your own. And Hall even told the Sherpas, look, leave some oxygen tanks for us along the route back because we're going to fucking need them. So that was the plan. Apparently. And the Sherpas are also thinking, so are we. Yeah. <laughs> well, the Sherpas are thinking we're fucking Maybe. out of here, dude. So if I was the Sherpas, I would have been like, yeah, we'll get right on that. <laughs> so the turnaround time was 2 p.m. Hall and Hansen reached the summit. The last one's 4 p.m. Right. So and I'm guessing because they have literally a hard stop at 2 p.m. It's for a very good reason. Well, here's the very good reason. They have weather forecasts. <sighs> and guess what was happening around 3, 3.30 p.m.? Uh, 80 mile an hour winds? Well, just for fun? Clouds okay. started gathering. Okay. Snow okay. started falling. That's not now, so bad. Well, is it though? Because here's what happens in the snow snow covers things, right? Like maybe your tracks that help Jesus guide you back Christ. down the mountain. Maybe the oxygen tanks that the Sherpas hopefully didn't leave behind. And maybe also oh my God. the rope that you're supposed to use to oh help my climb. God. 
Um, so yeah, that's exactly what happened. Now, it didn't take long for a full-fledged storm to develop around 6 p.m. Gale force winds. There was basically no visibility. Visibility was just completely reduced. And even though this is the, quote, warmer summer months, the wind chill was 70 below Fahrenheit. Right? So, uh, at this point, so, Anatoly... (laughs) No, I can't even pronounce his first name. Anatoly, who was the first to descend, was the first to reach the death zone again, right? Camp four. At this point, the death zone is a good thing. It's it's less. Hey, we made it. Yay! We made it back to the death zone. He reached camp four by 5 p.m. while the others were making their way down in ever worsening weather. Scott Fisher, at this point, was not doing well at all. And he was being helped because he was clearly suffering from some sort of altitude sickness, um, whether it was pulmonary edema, again, that that fluid Mm -hmm. in the lungs or something similar. So um, one of the Sherpas, Lapsang Zhangbu Sherpa, and one of the, the, the leader of the Taiwanese expedition, Makalu Gao, were helping him descend. But... Because of the storm, they couldn't make it past 27,400 feet or 8,350 meters um, because of the storm. And at this point, Gao was also not doing so hot. So Fisher convinced the Sherpa, Lapsang, to like, look, you just go without us. Like, you just have to get out of here. If you can, if you can do it, do it. So he left them. Hall was stranded the highest up on the mountain. Remember, he was back with uh, Hansen, Doug Hansen. And he radioed base camp. So he had radio communication. He radioed base camp for help. And he's like, look, this is not good. Apparently, at that point, Doug Hansen was unconscious. So things were not going so well. Um, Andy Harris, one of Hall's uh, fellow guides... Uh, was who had reached camp four earlier, headed back up the mountain with oxygen for them, for Hall and Hansen. So a group of nine of the climbers who had been trying to, remember there was like 33 of them. Mm-hmm. Now some of them have made it back, some of them haven't. I, I saw some differing accounts, but it was something like 17 of them ended up stuck at various points and sure. struggling in the weather. A group of nine of them had to stop even trying to move and just literally huddle together to stay warm in the middle of this storm, they, and they were lost. Or completely lost, as I wrote, because I was clearly typing a little too quickly. So they were finally able to see their way to the camp. They were about 600 feet away. 200 meters-ish. 660 feet, I think it technically is. And that was around midnight. This is dragging the fuck out, right? Like, so now we're talking midnight going into May 11th. Uh, Four people from that group set off to find help, and the rest of them stayed behind. Uh, And then shortly after that, our friend Anatoly found the group that was stranded, and he was able to rescue three of them. Wow. Okay. I, uh-huh. I, I did not foresee that at all. Now, specifically, the three people that he rescued belonged to the Mountain Madness group, his expedition. So he kind of preferred them, even though one of them was in worse shape 
that he left behind. Uh, so the two people who were left behind were from adventure consultants. Uh, Yasuko Namba, he hey. was not in good shape. Hey, all I'm saying is, I'm not hoping that anything bad happens, mm-hmm. but you know the risk you're taking. Uh, well, fair enough. So, um, yeah. And the other person who was left behind who actually Anatoly didn't even see because of the weather was Beck Weathers of all. <laughs> I, I know the weathers is a little tricky. Um, who was a, a mountain climber who had been on the um, adventure consultants group. Uh, but so they were left behind. There's these two guys were left behind. The other three went with uh, a- Anatoly, but then nobody could go back to get the other two guys or the other one guy, which they thought because they didn't see weathers at the time um, because everyone was too exhausted, right? Because even the people at, at Camp 4 who didn't climb are still exhausted because of the weather and because of the altitude. Like, you're not you're not at your best shape at that point. No. So they couldn't even go back to them right away. At 4.43 a.m., on May 11th, Rob Hall contacted base camp via radio again. He confirmed that Andy Harris, who came back with the oxygen, did reach them. He reached no them with the oxygen. But he confirmed that Hansen was, quote, gone and Harris was, quote, missing. Oh. So it is thought that basically they fell off the side of the mountains in the storm. So it's thought they fell to their death. They, they, that's, sure. Yeah. So there's there's two of our body count. Hashtag body count. Yeah. Um, Hall tried to continue his way down the mountain by himself. But he when he radioed base camp later, he said, look, my hands and my feet are basically like gone at this point. They're completely frostbitten. And it's super hard to continue. So he asked... Base camp, they had satellite phones, asked them to call his pregnant wife. They did, and he talked to her, saying, quote, Sleep well, my sweetheart. Please don't worry too much. End quote. If I was on the other end of that phone call, mm-hmm. I would have been like, Stop climbing Mount Everest, <laughs> you stupid fuck. How's like, he what? supposed to stop? There's what? no... Oh my god, there's something about, again, I'm so conflicted in this episode. Like, there is... Let's let's okay, finish let's, let's it up, going. we can absolutely yeah. pontificate at Jesus. the end. Okay, so soon after he spoke to his wife, he froze to death. Yeah, no shit. Yeah. So also, on the morning of May 11th, Scott Fisher and Mikhail Gall were, were found by some of the Sherpas. So they were found. Fisher was barely clinging to life. He was basically not mobile, not very, not necessarily responding. And the Sherpas decided to leave him there and bring Gao back. And they, they did recover Gao. He was sort of able to walk with a lot of help. Um, and then after that, uh, Anatoly, who keeps coming up, <laughs> um, went back to try and recover Fisher. And he was found dead at that point. So we're up to four. One of Hall's clients, uh, Stuart Hutchinson, Hutchison, set out with Lapsang to search for 
the two people left from that group that had huddled up, Namba and Weathers. Remember Beck Weathers mm-hmm. and uh, Yasuko Namba? And they were able to find them, but they were both like barely clinging to life, basically, and mostly frostbitten half to death, right? Um, so they decided they couldn't help them, and they left them. Went back to the base camp or the camp four, and the rest of the survivors were like, "Yeah, you you made the right choice." I mean, there's just once people are past a certain. I mean, this is. There's a level of survivalism that everybody understands. Well, you're at this constantly point. doing triage. You're like, yeah, you know, like this isn't gonna. It's yeah, like, uh, dude, you're past the point. Even if I get you off the mountain, you're not living anyway. Like, basically, the best so. we can do is just let this process finish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they they Jesus. they left them both. Now, to everyone's shock, this is this is this is where it just shit goes bananas, right? Beck Weathers. Stumbled into the camp <laughs> on his own accord, hypothermic and severely frostbitten, and having been previously left for dead. So they gave him, they were like, holy shit, they gave him oxygen, they tried to warm him up, but he, he was in rough shape, right? Now, they're still, they're still waiting for help, like, clearly... They're still in the dead zone, correct? Yes, yes. Now, help is on the way. But it's not coming like. Well, it's not like it's gonna get there tomorrow. No, or even it's, like in fucking five days. Well, like it'll it get actually there. came pretty quick. Okay, I was gonna say it'll get there that. when it gets there. It's not like calling nine one one. No, and like somebody <laughs> no, just not. shows up. No, it's not. So the ne- the next day, May twelfth, or early into that day, there was another storm that collapsed the tent onto Weathers Beck Weathers. So they're like, well, fuck it. Now he's dead. Like, this guy. Is this dude like Rasputin? Is this, oh, we're going to keep going. All right. So they were like, okay, he's he, now he's Now dead. he's dead, finally. Yes. <laughs> so the later that day, May 12th, which, again, pretty quick, the rest of the survivors were preparing to be evacuated by, by rescuers when Weathers called out for help from his tent in the nick of time <laughs> because this guy apparently has nine lives. So he and Gao were helped down to Camp 2 by a crew shooting an IMAX film called Everest. Do you remember this? I kind of have a little bit of memory of this. This is the it very... It came out in 98. I was going to say this is the very early days of IMAX. Yes. Do you remember? I, I, I think I do. remember this. Because I, I saw one of the three times I saw Titanic in the theater. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. Um, great movie. Mm. I did see it, and I, I remember it was IMAX. It was it's kind of early days, yeah, and I'm pretty tech. sure I remember seeing a poster for Everest. Everest. Yeah, it was a big deal because it was the sweeping panoramas, mm-hmm. right? Well, this crew had helicopters, and they helped they had rescue a whole fucking these crew guys. of people. Yes, Jesus. Um, but even but even so, that doesn't guarantee anything. No, but these two guys were did end up surviving. Wow. Yeah. Gao and uh, wonder, and Weathers, I the man with ten lives. I'm gonna after this is done, we're gonna see if that's on. Oh, and Everest apparently does include plenty bet, about the this uh, rescue effort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So they they both survived, though they lost various appendages and Ooh, nose bits and stuff like yeah. that because of the frostbite. Yeah. So. So um, 
we're the the death tolls up to five. We have Fisher, Hall, Harris, Hansen, and Namba, who Weathers survived, but not Namba. And Weathers just won't die. Yeah. Weathers is just a zombie, apparently. Now, in addition to these five casualties, three Indian climbers on the Tibetan side of the mountain. Remember, these guys are on the Nepal side. Um, so these these three people, Sewang Smnala, Smanla, sorry, uh, Sewang Paljor and Dorje Morup also died during the same blizzard, just on the other side of the mountain, um, on May 10th, bringing the total death toll to eight. Mm. Now, at the time, it was a record number of deaths on Everest in a single 24-hour period. This has been topped twice since. I was going to say, that's kind of surprising. First in 2014, when an avalanche killed 16 Sherpas. Jesus. And then in 2015, when there was that earthquake that took off Hillary's step or destroyed Hillary's step. Um it, 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 avalanches were caused by the earthquake killing at least 22 people. So there, it, this has been a record that has since been topped. Now, the bodies of Harris and Hansen were never recovered. Remember, mm. it was thought that they just maybe fell off the mountain. Mm. Rob Hall's body was found by Ed Visters. Remember? Oh, yeah. This guy keeps popping up. I know, up. I know. Uh, but Hall's wife, you know, the lady that was pregnant that he talked to. So leave him yeah. there. Yep, that's exactly what she said because she's like, that's what he would have wanted. Mm-hmm. He would have wanted to stay there. In 1997, John Krakauer wrote a best-selling memoir called Into Thin Air, a personal account of the Mount Everest disaster because, remember, he was, he was there. Right. He was one of those 33 climbers who right. made it to the summit. He was one of the first ones to reach the summit. Now, his narrative was criticized by some of their survivors, specifically by our friend Anatoly, because Krakauer criticized him in the book. He was like, now, he did a great job with the rescue efforts, but why did was he, like, the first one down? Why didn't he stay and help people? And it was like, oh, well, he didn't have an oxygen tank. And he's like, well, why didn't you? Why sh- shouldn't you have used it anyway? Um, Anatoly wrote his own book as like a counterpoint called The Climb, also in 1997, as like a response to that. On Christmas Day, 1997, our friend Anatoly died in an avalanche while attempting to climb Annapurna, another Himalayan mountain. And I wrote, good Christ, people, stay out of the fucking Himalayas. (laughs) Just stop fucking, just stop mountain climbing. Just stop doing it. And that same year, in 1997, now a successful Seven Summiteer, Sandra Hill Pittman, wrote an article for Vogue magazine about the disaster and her experience in it. So now, as I mentioned before, in spite of the obvious risks, which we'll talk about in a second, people from around the world still flock to Mount Everest every year to reach its summit. The most recent victim on record was 62-year-old American Christopher Coolish, who died on May 27th, 2019, as in about four months ago, of a heart attack as he worked towards completing his seven summits. He may be the most recent, but he will certainly he not, not be, be the, the last. last. And no. that, my friends, is the story, the long-ass fucking story of... The 1996 Everest disaster. Now I see why you were so frustrated earlier today. (laughs) (laughs) 
because it is it's a frustrating story. It's a frustrating it story. Is, it is a disaster. So much. It is it's... a disaster, yes. Ugh. I will agree. But at mm-hmm. the same time, it's not I was in an airplane and we got in a head-on collision disaster. Where I was you, where living you had, my life normally. Where you had this zero control yeah. over what the fuck happened. This you had complete control. You didn't have to be there. Exactly. In terms of being there or not, you had control of. You didn't really have much control and of what happened after that. And it's beyond you didn't have quote have to be there. It's that you took a ri- a major risk. Doing something incredibly risky that also puts other people's lives in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to justify that for me personally. I agree. Yeah, I agree. It's um, a highly problematic peculiarity of the human psyche. Yeah. But the, but here's the conflicting part. There's a part of me that completely understands it. Like... The like be- when I when I first are amazing. when I first looked at at this picture, mm-hmm. I was like, "What a bunch of fucking dipshits!" Mm-hmm. But the more I looked at it, I was like, "How awesome would that be? It's beautiful to make it's it to the top of Mount Everest." Mm-hmm. And no wonder there are. I'm gonna guess there looks like there's roughly 50, oh, 60 people mm-hmm. lined up to get onto this thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, and this this is literally a once in a lifetime view and experience and yeah. everything else. I, I I get the I get the abstract of it. I get the abstract of it. I I'm don't not, get the I'm not follow doing through. It. No. No, I'm not doing it. Mm-hmm. Fuck no. No way. No. And I would not encourage anyone else to do it. No. Ever. Ever. That's it just seems like such a terrible idea. Especially at this point. I don't know. Again, it's the I'm just I'm way too conflicted with this episode. Because mm-hmm. when I was younger Obviously, I did you not did daredevilish scale stuff. Mount Everest. No, but you... But we did all sorts of sure. fucking stupid shit. Part of it was because we were young and we didn't know any mm-hmm. better. And there was there was a part of it, though, that was... I enjoy the adrenaline of it, you know? Do you know that the, the youngest deaths on Everest are, like, people 19, 20, 22? There's no, like, teenagers doing this shit. Mm-mm. Because it takes too much planning. It takes too... It's not just like, hey, let's go climb Everest. Like, it doesn't work like that. And in our story, like, aside from the guides, who were the people doing this? There was a bunch of middle-aged people. Yeah. People in their 40s and 50s. Who had the means to do it. Who had the means. That's the exact thing. So that's also part that just is a little mind-fucking, is just, like, why are people... Is it, are these a bunch of midlife crises? I'd be really interested to know somebody's... Are these people trying to cling to their childhood or, like, to pretend to be I, young? It, no, I here's here's what it is. It, and this is what I said early on in the episode. It's people whose egos are too big to fit inside their own fucking head. Mm. I mean, that, that's what it is. What, what else could it be? Mm-hmm. I mean, really. I guess we could you, ask John Krakauer to I read his book because he could. was one of them. I guess we could. And, and it makes sense that mm-hmm. he would write a book about somebody else who thought he had the balls to. Yeah, because he kind of did the same thing. To go all across in, uh, North America, not uh-huh. just America. Mm-hmm. I mean, he went through Canada too, uh, Chris McCandless. Well, let me ask you this. What makes you admire Christopher McCandless because, but then think uh, these people are idiots? Because... He was not doing anything necessarily death-defying. He was literally just... Dr- no, Being but he alone was, in the wilderness, not knowing what the fuck you're doing? He 
carried a gun. He knew how to fire a gun, stuff like that. That's he knew not how all to you hunt. Need to know for I, un- I understand, but it's a start. Okay. Okay. Here, but- here's my thing. Here's my thing about why I'd, he completely dropped out of what anybody considers to be normal society. Yeah, but you can go off the grid as a non-survivalist. But those are a lot of times. That, that, I don't know why. I can't explain okay. why. Okay. Okay. There's, that's fair. There's that's just fair. there's just seeing that movie. Um, and reading about it, I still have not read the book. Okay. Um, I, it was just like, man, just I, it was like just a, like Emil Hirsch. Uh, maybe I, <laughs> I guess. Um, but there was something about it. I was like, man, I wish I could do that. I just don't have the balls to. I think maybe that's the maybe okay. that's the connection. Okay. But this is this is. I would sooner do this than go off in Alaska by myself in the wilderness. Oh no, I'll do the Alaska thing before. You are. At there least is you have a people and some people who actually know what they're doing. There is a in both instances. There's a very good chance you could die. Yes. I will put the instances. There's a much higher chance you're going to die doing this than just kind of cruising around Alaska. But you're alone and lost. That's what happened. He to wasn't him. alone and lost. Yes, he was. He was lost. He yeah, starved he was... to fucking death. Because, part, anyway. I know there's the berries or whatever. No, no, no. It, because where he went across an ice bridge, and when the spring came around, it became a, a um, uh, it was part of the a very strong rushing lake stream. Something so like that. So he's stranded. Yes. Okay. Well, Unwittingly you, stranded himself. Okay. Well, but at least you die on Everest, you die looking at pretty shit. If Alaska's you, probably pretty. Yes, I agree. <laughs> I don't know. Well, maybe exactly. we should start a poll. Would you rather... No, I'd rather do neither. Defy death no. on Everest or defy death by going off on your own in the middle of the Alaskan wilderness. That would be very interesting I to see I think I'm going to go say. with option B. I'm going to say Everest. Okay. Right. I mean, and I don't want to do Everest. I don't want to do either of those things. <laughs> no, I don't want to do either of them either. So, no. but... So I don't know wow. with with the uh, I, again the, whatever. Obviously, we're both conflicted a little bit. A little, but there's. I get it with the whole Everest thing. I do for the earlier people. Now like there was a purpose potentially, exactly. like a sort of purpose. Let's see, for it. Yeah. and and it is one of the. That is one of the best qualities of the human body of the human animal mm-hmm. we're very adaptable yeah we can adapt into almost any climate well and they even had like ways to adapt people to the right. altitude who weren't used to yes. it i mean there's there's in this story there's the literal evolutionary right. adaptation of the sherpa people yeah. but then there's also the short-term adaptation of these people are on mount everest mm-hmm. in minus 70 degree Fahrenheit or Celsius conditions. Mm -hmm. And a month later, they could be in Southern Florida where it's 85 degrees. Okay. Any other animal could not do that. Well, and even humans, there is a risk in doing that. Like, um, Gary Ball, who died of pulmonary edema because of the altitude. That was what killed him. It's not known exactly why some people that happens to and others it doesn't. But, like, there could be a genetic component I read, whatever. Anyway, just even doing that, even know he was an experienced climber, he knew what he was doing, there's still a risk of literally your body saying, fuck you yeah, and done. killing yourself. Yeah, I'm done. Yeah. Like your body just I mean, shutting it, it down. Literally. Yeah. It, your body kills itself because it, it's just freaks the fuck out. It's like, uh, uh, 
I didn't know I was going to be 20,000 fucking feet in the right? air someday. Fuck you. Or, I'm done. Or like the guy who had a heart, the, the most recent death, had a fucking cardiac arrest. Yeah. He had a heart attack. You aren't getting an ambulance yeah. at yeah. 29,000 feet, sir. His heart was like, look stupid. Like, I, we're done. I, I didn't agree to this. Like, I'm done. I'm shutting down. Yeah. Like, see you later. And good fucking luck getting a paramedic here. Yeah. You know? So. Holy Christ. Well, huh. I've got to say, this is the most conflicted episode we've ever done for me. It's it's a weird one, and yeah. it's just uh, I don't I don't know. So thank you, Emily, Christopher, and Eric for fucking with our brains. <laughs> I say that sarcastically, but I say it out of love. And again, um, I'm, we we are sorry about the very long. Why this, are we apologizing? This is, this is free content. People I don't guess. have to listen. That's true. That's true. <laughs> on, on your several lunch breaks, we hope you get this in. <laughs> Here we go. At least you can listen to this one on a plane as opposed to the That last is true. One. Yes, that is true. This is actually this will actually be shorter than my plane ride from Baltimore to Cleveland. There you go. Maybe you should uh oh, Baltimore to Cleveland. You're connecting I'm in flying from oh, here Southwest, to Baltimore yeah. to Cleveland. That's right. You're going same, to same route on the way back. Going to our beloved Cleveland that somebody left us a one star review for hating on. So <laughs> go and find I, them. And I also believe it was Michelle today that called me out for Bills fans calling out Browns fans is calling. Like the pot calling the kettle black. <laughs> Not true. Uh, the Browns pre-Super Bowl era are with the Packers, probably one of the two best teams ever. The actual Super Bowl era, the Browns have still never been to a Super Bowl. We've been to four. Lost them all, but anyway. Wait, have the Browns actually won a Super Bowl? They've never been to a Super Bowl. Oh, I'm sorry, Michelle. I'm going to have to side with David on this one, and that's pretty sad. Yeah. And we're on Super Bowl 54. Cleveland rocks. Cleveland rocks. There's the the coolest song from Buffalo is Shuffle Up to Buffalo. It's not even half. I don't as even cool. know that song. But anyway, um, I will be reporting on November tenth, <laughs> two thousand nineteen from the from from the side of Lake Erie, <laughs> known as Cleveland. Cleveland. But I will never climb. I will never. I will never even be in the same hemisphere as fucking Mount Everest, much less climb the goddamn thing. Like the fuck this thing. No. Thanks. <laughs> no. It would be pretty cool to see from a distance. I wouldn't be opposed to. I that. wouldn't. I wouldn't be opposed to opposed to flying over it. But again, again, it's six miles high in the air. So if you're gonna fly over it, they I can guess see you're, it from space. I guess you're on your way to outer space, and I'm not interested in oh, doing that either. Oh, they can see it from space. I read something about how like the space shuttles, like they they. We're able to spot it. No, there it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, fuck that. No <laughs> thanks. So anyway, that was the 1996 Everest disaster. This has been another episode of All Bad Things. Another long episode. <laughs> Sorry about that. Nope. No apologies. You're right. And no alarms and no surprises. And that's right. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week.